What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Knuckleheads MMA Podcast. We're back again. I'm Tim. I'm here again with Lee. We're talking fucking Lee. What's up? Lee, you, you were off uh, for Tampa. We, we were both off last week for Boston. Uh, it's good to have you back again. Yeah, I was at a high school reunion for Tampa. Uh, no fights happened. <laughs> um, so a little bit boring there. And yeah, last week we were off, so it's good to be back. Yeah, sorry about that, guys, but it was a great one. Uh, we'll start off by talking about that. I thought the Boston event was really good. Yeah, I agree with you. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, from a fan perspective, I was very bummed to, to not see a more competitive fight from Chris Weidman, though. Um, oh, yeah. I was a bit worried about whether, you know, he could handle uh, light heavyweight. I thought that was a great test because he was really facing a guy who's who's I think pretty close to an elite striker. Yeah. Chris is at that stage in his career where I think he's taken that punishment and at some point your chin just doesn't respond the same way anymore and I think it's going to be a problem whether he stays at light heavyweight or uh, middleweight. But bottom line is um Dominic Reyes coming out party, he's legit and uh yeah, it was definitely an entertaining night of fights, no doubt about it. Right. And as far as Weidman goes, uh, it, was, it was a real bummer, but I had a pretty good idea that that was a real possibility and would probably happen. Uh, it sounds like he's probably going to fight again, uh, at least right now. That's where he seems to be leaning. How do you feel about that, Lee? You know, I mean, I, I'd like to see him not fight again, just mainly for his health. I, I, I Like you and I have been very open about it. We're fans of Sarah Longo. We're fans of their fighters. And I mean, this is really one of the great guys in the sport. And I just don't, I just don't think he has anything left to prove. But I'm also not a fighter and a competitor on that level at all. Not even close. So I understand where he's coming from. He's got a great team behind him. There's no doubt Ray Longo knows that uh, he's been taking some shots. So if they can alter his game plan to try and continue to focus more on his wrestling, maybe that c- could extend his career a bit. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I think he was trying to wrestle. He was at, yeah. at the beginning, but I think he looked a little bit too desperate, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it you know it was almost like predictable, and I think that's bad. Like Dominic Reyes knew Weidman was gonna wrestle eventually it was almost like he still has to mix it up a bit it can't be predictable yeah i think he's in a bit of a tough spot uh i don't know if that weight class is great for him given the size of the people he's gonna fight but then i also understand that at 35 now the weight cut to get to 185 is hard for him and maybe not even possible for him so he's in a really tricky position yeah Uh, um i was gonna say that uh to add to your point I think Chris Weidman is almost a perfect example of why there needs to be a weight class between 185 and 205. That's the biggest jump of all the weight classes, you know? Yeah. If, if, so that's 20 pounds. There's no reason to not have like a cruiserweight or whatever it might be, 195. That would help. Yeah. So it's a really big jump. He's a small, light heavyweight. It's all about, like you were alluding to, the fact that at the older age, it's harder for him to cut weight. Uh, but he's a, he's a you know tweener 
You're right? You know, he he's yeah. really a guy who belongs in between. But it seems like right now the best spots for him to be at middleweight, I think. Yeah. Uh, okay, and just to hit on the other fights on the Boston main card really quickly, we had Macy Barber with a dominant uh, finish, first-round finish of Jillian Robertson. Yep. Uh, one of the feel-good moments of the Boston card, Joe Lozon, really impressive. Uh, one minute and 35 second finish of Jonathan Pierce. Joe's an awesome guy. Um, it, you know, just great to see him get that win. I wonder how you feel. I would have liked to see him walk away definitively, and he still might. But that would have been the yeah. perfect, the perfect moment. You know? Um, yeah, he, I still think he might. Yeah. Yeah, he still might. I mean, he is—he might be the smartest guy in the UFC that's fighting. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's not like, you know, he's not thinking about it logically, but just it was a picturesque moment. Like, you know, you do right. that in your hometown. He was in tears, which he hates crying, he said. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I just would have liked for him to say there that he's walking away. Would have been, I think I would have started crying. I think it's tougher than that for him because he probably feels great after that win. Like, he's looked great. It probably made him feel like he can still do it, and he's probably riding high on that win. Uh, Hopefully, when everything settles, he'll realize that that's kind of a good time to uh, put an end to it. Yeah, agreed. So then we'll move on to uh, the less feel-good moment of the event. It's not something I want to go too hard on, but I'll definitely open that up for you to do. Uh, Greg Hardy, uh, at first getting a decision over Ben Sassoli, which was a really interesting fight, uh, at least for the first round. Then Hardy used his inhaler between the second and third round, and the fight was eventually overturned to a no contest to Sassoli. It kind of slowed down after the first round anyway. They spent a lot of time just staring each other down. But the first round, well, I thought uh, toughest first round Greg Hardy's ever had. Yeah, I mean, I think Greg was out to prove a point that, you know, he can fight a bit of a longer fight and show patience and so on and so forth. And that's all well and good. But, you know, not to harp on the inhaler part, but come on, man. It's Dean yeah. Thomas in his corner, right? Like, you've got to be yeah. smart enough to know, like, you've just got to be more educated going into that fight. But... Um, the, the fact of the matter is, is this is an incredible heavyweight athlete. Uh, he's an incredibly raw fighter. We all know that, but he's got power. He's got speed. He's got the athleticism. I do give him credit for getting in there. I cannot stand him as a human being, but I'm not going (laughs) to, I'm not going to deny the fact that it takes a whole hell of a lot to get into this sport at that level with very little experience. Yeah. Then the co-main event, uh, we finally got Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez. Uh, it was a great fight. It went to distance. Uh, a lot of people are saying they wish it would have been five rounds. I, I would have taken five rounds because I thought it was a lot of fun to watch. Yes. Uh, Yair looked really good. Jeremy looked really good at the end. Uh, but I think it was definitely a strong win for Yair Rodriguez. Uh, no doubt about it. Give Jeremy Stevens credit. I mean, that, that dude is so tough. And, and by the way, uh, the referee did a fantastic job like that, 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 you know, we obviously criticize them at times, but that, that was a tremendous job of, of, of reading the pulse of, of, of Jeremy Stevens and, you know, whether he was still able to fight and, you know, you've got to be knowledgeable of a fighter going into a fight of, you know, their recent history and how tough they are. And he weathered the storm, but Yair looked good. Yair looked good. And I think Jeremy, 
is what we would call at this point a gatekeeper. It's not an insult. It just means that if you can get past Jeremy Stevens, a uh, very tough fighter, then you're ready for the next level. But Jeremy's not going to be contending for a belt at this point anymore, right. you know? Yeah, he's now 15 and 16 in the UFC. So wow. he has a below 500 record with the organization. Yeah. All right. So that's UFC Boston. Uh, it was a really good card. Uh, we started out by talking about Weidman and Reyes and kind of like when you know when to hang them up and how that could be tough for some fighters who have been at the top. And that will segue us into the next thing we want to talk about, which is the Chuck and Tito 30 for 30 on ESPN. Uh, really good documentary, like almost all of the 30 for 30s. They do a great job. Well, you know, it was really nice to see the first MMA-based 30 for 30. I think that's obviously part of the deal uh, now that the UFC is in bed with um, ESPN. I thought the most interesting thing I took out of it that a lot of people noticed is Dana White's angle. Do you want to be a fighter? And I think that from a you know filmmaking point of view um and and for people who don't know tim and i work in the business he's an editor i'm a producer you know at first i think it was easy to think that maybe they were biased against tito um but then i took a step back and i sort of said to myself well the reality is dana white really has not liked tito uh, those are his true feelings. So what are you going to do? I mean, they gave Tito an opportunity to respond. Um, he obviously had a little bit more, I think, class. Uh, and frankly, even though I agree with Dana, Tito is not the brightest guy in the book. Boom, roasted. But, you know, Dana went to an extreme. I think Tito just acted a bit more mature about it. And that's the way it came off. I don't think the film was biased at all. I think it was very accurate. I think that uh, I'm happy they didn't just glance over that third horrific fight that should have never happened. Uh, I think that third fight was a great jumping point to the way they ended it. And, um, you know, it was a nice start to uh, the first MMA 30 for 30. And it certainly was deserving of a 30 for 30 because it really took MMA to the next level. And and I know that's something that you want to talk about. For me at that time, I was not into MMA yet. But I remember I wasn't. No. Um, You know, I remember it. uh, Those guys promoting it on on Fox on the best damn show, sports show period, whatever it was called. Right. But I know for you, you were into it at that point, you know? Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of it. Just seeing all that stuff again and remembering what was going on during that time. Uh, They really had built up Chuck Liddell like really effectively as like this guy that you wanted to see just beat everybody. And he he was. He was knocking everybody out. It was very exciting. I remember being surprised when Randy Couture beat Liddell, like they showed in the documentary. And that was also around the time when uh, Chuck Liddell went on the Pride Invasion. Uh, Mm. There was that Grand Prix where he fought, like, small Alistair Overeem. I'm sure you remember that whole thing. Yeah, I've actually, I went back and watched all that stuff on UFC Fight Pass, which is so awesome to see. I mean, it really, for me, when I learned about that, and, you know, once I got into MMA and I started watching all these old fights, that crossover promotion stuff's incredible. Yeah. 
it was it was great to go down memory lane with the first and the second fight. I actually had forgotten how well Tito did in the second fight. Yeah, and, and, and he. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I totally interrupted you, but I was just going to add one thing that was very cool that I've gone back and watched footage of is when, you know, they they just had a little bit of that fight that was supposed to be set up between Tito and Dana. Like that oh, was yeah. that, that was legitimately going to happen. There was yeah. a whole special that was done on it. I think you could still find it on YouTube. Um, so, you know, they did a really good job of like touching all the bases, I think. Yeah. And like you said, uh, I'm glad that they put the third fight in there because I hated the third fight and it, it was one of the stronger moments of the movie, especially mm-hmm. that part at the end where they showed him and his wife watching the tape of the fight. Yes. And then they both were cringing as he was getting hit. I'm glad it ended in that raw manner. Um, because that's that, that needed to be shown. It's tough, though, and I hope a lot of people don't end up like that because yeah. it's sad to see Chuck Liddell that way. Hey, I want to put you on the spot to wrap up this part of it, but yeah. what if you had a choice, like let's say you and I were going to do a 30 for 30 MMA, what would the next one be for you? Maybe actually, just for a quick answer, maybe that Pride Grand Prix where Chuck Liddell entered it. Like I think if, I, if we were making it together, you and I, we're the filmmakers, that would be a really fun thing to research. Yeah, I, I think pride in general would be incredible because yeah. of so many elements. Um, the fact that it was hands down the greatest mixed martial arts organization around the, yeah. the, the, the rules, the mob influence, uh, the fact that it was open season with steroids. I don't want to give everybody uh, some ideas that we might be able to capitalize on. But, <laughs> uh, I think uh, high and Gracie focusing on him, the Gracie bad boy. Mm-hmm. And how he got murdered in prison. We could do something on that. Like, he has an interesting story being, like, more of a striker in the family and uh, kind of like a troublemaker. Yeah. This is probably the beginning of seeing some uh, MMA-related 30 for 30s because there's so many stories to tell. All right. So with that, we'll move into the breakdown for UFC Fight Night Singapore. Uh, here we go. Break it down! First fight of the main card is Muslim Salikov versus Lorena Staropoli. Uh, Muslim Salikov is a minus 175 favorite. He's coming off that big knockout against Nordin Taleb uh, at UFC Abu Dhabi. He's 2-1 in the UFC. His two wins are both by knockout. Staropoli's coming off of a decision win versus Thiago Alves. Uh, he came into the UFC 6-1 and one with five knockouts, but he's gone the distance in his two fights with the promotion. How do you see this first fight going, Lee? Well, I think that Muslim has the best nickname, King of Kung Fu. Um, mm-hmm. He's a legit kickboxer. He's a finisher. Finish him! And I think that while Staropoli is the more active striker, he also gets hit, he gets hit more. And ultimately, to me, that's what's going to end up being the difference. I think they're going to end up getting into a stand-up war, uh, and I'm going to go with the King of Kung, Kung Fu by stoppage. Yeah, I find this one a little bit tough to call. Uh, since I don't really have much evidence that Salikov can wrestle, uh and I don't see him winning without a stoppage. Staropoli hasn't been knocked out uh, since 2013. 
and that's the only time he was knocked out. He's shown the ability to land uh, in huge volume. He landed 97 strikes in three rounds versus Hector Aldana. And I'm not saying Hector Aldana is anything like Muslim Salikov, but going by the numbers, it's just something to look at. So on DraftKings, I'll be playing both sides of this because I'm leaning towards Staropoly, but I definitely think there is a real chance that Salikov gets a knockout here. But my pick for the fight will be Staropoly. The second fight is Cyril Gaon versus Dante Mays. Gaon, a minus 290 favorite. Uh, these are a couple lesser-known heavyweights, especially Mays. Uh, unless you're a Contender Series fan, because he has been on the Contender Series three times. Uh, he's making his proper UFC debut. And Cyril Gaon uh, has a little more hype. He's 4-0 professionally, but only 1-0 in the UFC. But there's a lot of people excited about him. But how do you see this fight going, Lee? Yeah, all eyes are on Cyril. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he's from the MMA factory in Paris, which is also where Francis Ngannou, um, you know, is from as well uh, in terms of uh, fighting background. Um, you know, he is the guy that I think the UFC would like to see victorious coming out of this fight. He's tabbed as a legit prospect. Muay Thai kickboxing background. You know, frankly, I, th- I just think he's the better all-around fighter. And I think that he'll finish. He And he can win via strikes or subs. He, he's done both. Um, so I think he's going to take this fight. Uh, Mays is no pushover, but I think the better all-around fighter is Cyril. No doubt about it. Yeah. I don't really trust Mays' background is the thing. Uh, he has a lot of fights on the like southern regional uh, circuit. He's from Kentucky. Uh, he lost his first contender series fight. He got knocked out by Alan Crowder, who most people remember. Uh, he took an illegal knee in Greg Hardy's debut. Yep. Uh, so Mays was knocked out by him in, in his first contender series fight. On paper, Mays has a pretty sizable striking advantage, uh, 5.3 strikes per minute to only 3.6 for Ghana. Uh, but I'm I'm just not sure uh, you can trust who he's fighting, where we're getting these numbers from. His first two opponents actually submitted to punches, so that gives you a little bit of an idea of uh, his level of competition. So based on that and uh, based on the pedigree and expectations for Gon, I'm going to pick him too. Uh, I think he'll get a stoppage probably second round, maybe first. Sounds about right. Okay. All right. The third fight. Uh one of my favorite fights on the entire card is Frank Camacho uh, versus Benil Darius. Camacho is only 30, but he's been fighting for a super long time. This is a little bit of a tough pick, too, because I think very highly of Darius. Uh, but how do you see this fight going, Lee? Yeah, I agree with you. It, it, it is a, a, a tough fight to pick. You know, uh, Frank the Crank they call him because he does have a good submission game, but he could also be a really super active striker. And, and again, like I think that could end up being his downfall here. Uh, Statistically, he lands 6.85 significant strikes per minute to Darius's 3.91. But, and I almost couldn't believe this stat. He absorbs Camacho 7.1 strikes per minute. 
That that's right. that that's almost like insanity. And Dariush is at just two point six eight. So you know, Dariush uh, obviously black belt BJJ, but he'll stand and strike as well. And if you're gonna get hit that much, you're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> So I think Camacho's getting hit a lot is what's going to end up being a factor. And I could easily envision a scenario where Dariush uh, floors him and then on the ground sinks in, you know, a submission and wins. And that's what I think will happen. I'm going to call submission in round two, let's say. Yeah, I love Dariush by submission. Uh, that's something that I've gone with many times and something in, in some ways I want to on this, but I don't think that's where I'm going. Uh, Darius is a actually pretty accomplished kickboxer uh, to go along with how outstanding he is in jiu-jitsu. But I don't think he's the kind of guy that outstrikes uh, Camacho that led to his uh, strike absorption rate. Darius has seven submission wins. Uh, like I said, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. But Camacho is a good wrestler, and he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu himself. I think there is a big difference, or it can be a big difference, between a black and brown belt. But I think being a brown belt combined with his wrestling ability and just overall aggression, uh, outlanding Darius by the huge margin that you talked about, I, I'm going to side with Camacho. And I guess another thing to cite is uh, Darius doesn't always make me think he has the best durability. I think he can get hurt. And because Camacho is so aggressive and is really going to chase a finish and land a lot of strikes, mm-hmm. I, it just makes me feel like that's who I want to pick. But this is a close fight. Yeah, it's, and it's I a can close definitely fight. definitely see Darius winning. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be a fun fight. That's for sure. Yeah. Another fun fight that I think maybe won't be as close, and the odds makers don't think will be too close either, is Michael Johnson versus Stevie Ray. This is our co-main event of the evening. Michael Johnson coming in as a minus 345 favorite. He's back up to 155 for this fight. And I think this is a bubble fight for Michael Johnson, which is kind of a shame because I think he's really talented. But MMA is really competitive right now, especially with the amount of shows that the UFC is putting on with the Contender Series and people coming into the organization constantly. You have to win, and Johnson has taken some tough losses. But how do you see this coming eventually? Both fighters need a win bad. They've, uh, they, you know, both lost three of their last five. Uh, Michael Johnson's fought some killers, but he's also lost even six of his past nine fights. I think ultimately here, while both guys are southpaws, the speed advantage and even the reach advantage from Michael Johnson is going to end up being the big difference. Um, you know, he's the more active fighter. He does take some punches, no doubt about it. Uh, but I really think that the speed advantage is, is going to be the big difference. Um, ultimately, you know, Stevie Ray is tough. Uh, both men certainly have gotten stopped before, but, and Ray, the thing, the problem that I have with Ray is, Michael Johnson is not only more the aggressive fighter, but Ray tends to be more of a counter fighter. And so when you're fighting a guy like Michael Johnson, who will bring it to you, but also is faster than, than you, your window of opportunity to be successful countering, striking, 
is much smaller. Uh, and I just don't raise, I don't think Ray is going to have success trying to counterpunch a quicker guy. So I think Michael Johnson wins this fight. Um, and I think it's going to be a late stoppage via strikes, like later in the third round. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good read, except for the fact that Johnson seems to have trouble in the later rounds. Like he's been winning some of his recent fights and he's getting knocked out in toward the end of the fight. So if it does go that long, uh, I'll be a little bit worried for him, but it doesn't mean that he can't pull it off there too. Uh, like you were saying, he is faster. He also lands slightly more. Uh, he's always fighting good competition, definitely better competition than Stevie Ray is fighting. He was winning, like I said, his fight against Josh Emmett. Then he just got knocked out cold. He was winning his fight against Darren Elkins. Like he really like, lit him up in the first round and then got taken down in the second and submitted. So that seems to be kind of a problem for uh, for Michael Johnson. Stevie Ray has been knocked out by Leonardo Santos recently. Before that, he was knocked out by Paul Felder. Uh, Paul Felder is a very good fighter, but you don't really see him knock out too many people, though. Uh, so I just don't know if Stevie Ray is even necessarily at a UFC level, and I I don't think that he's at Michael Johnson's level. This should be a fight that Michael Johnson could win. And like I said at the top, I think it's a shame for Michael Johnson if he doesn't. Uh, but I'm picking him. I agree. And I just want to add one final footnote to that. Your point, your, your point about Michael Johnson sometimes fading in the late rounds, again, right. That's, that's right, but it happens against better competition. And Stevie Ray is not a guy who I think is going to push him in the later rounds because of his counterattack style. You yeah. know, he sits no. back a lot. So I think Michael has the opportunity here to maybe conserve his energy or be a little more strategic. And that's the way I see him maybe finishing this fight late. But he should win this fight clearly. I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. All right. So then it's time for the main event of the evening. And it is a fight that uh, you could say is very polarizing <laughs> yes. for the public. Uh, ben Askren versus Damian Maya. Two of the, really, in my opinion, two of the more special fighters that we have in the UFC right now. Some real specialists, uh, real technicians of their specific games. You're not going to see too many wrestlers better than Ben Askren, and you're not going to see too many jiu-jitsu players better than Damian Maya. But a lot of people just think this fight is going to be boring. Nevertheless, uh, Askren's coming in at a minus 185 favorite. A very hard fight to predict. Uh, How do you predict this one, Lee? Well, first and foremost, if this is the fight that you're planning on showing or having friends over for who are not really yeah. MMA fans, don't do it. It's going totally to be agree. it's going to be the equivalent of walking in on your grandparents having sex. Um, <laughs> it, it, just don't do it. Uh, this is for hardcore MMA fans. People like us will enjoy it. And yes, yeah. aesthetically, it may not be a pleasing fight. It may take place on the ground. You may not see many punches, but I love it. I love the matchup. So this is an incredibly hard fight to call. There's no clear-cut advantage, uh, in my opinion, that one fighter has over the other because they're so great in their specified skill sets. Um, one thing I want to say is... So many people are negating the striking aspect of this fight. The thing is this. 
neither guy is a very good striker. But if you remember, there was a point in time where Damian Maya was sort of going out of his way to almost like kickbox a little bit. He's the right. better. Yeah. He's the better striker than Ben Askren. There's no doubt. And I'm just saying that don't be surprised if Damian Maya at some point rattles Ben Askren on his feet. It can happen. Um, and if it does happen, I'm not saying it's going to, but if it does, Ben's in trouble because Damien will jump on him and choke him out. But that said, Ben is this guy who looks like a wimpy guy and he's got this watermelon squashing strength and he's super strong. So my prediction is while Damien clearly has the advantage in jujitsu that what Ben's going to do is control him on the ground and his strength will end up being the factor and Ben is just going to ground and pound him. I'm not saying he's going to stop him, but he will control the fight because he's the stronger fighter. Boom, roasted. That said, do I feel confident in anything I just said in terms of prediction? No, I don't. It's a fascinating, fascinating fight. Um, What do you think about it? I agree with you on the end part, uh, including the uh, lack of confidence. (laughs) I, I don't think there's as much of a chance uh, that Maya will be able to hurt Askren on the feet. Uh, he is a somewhat decent kickboxer, as you alluded to, but his takedown defense is not that good, and Ben Askren basically has no striking. I, I don't think he has any plan on standing and striking in this fight. He's going to go for a takedown, I would say, pretty quickly, probably not as quickly as he did against Masvidal. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, he, yeah. Uh, I think he has a little bit of apprehension now. So uh, he will try to get it down quickly. He's a, he's a great takedown artist. He's one of the best wrestlers, if not the best wrestler in the UFC. Uh, again, Maya doesn't defend takedowns super well. He also likes to be the one going for takedowns. If you look at his record, he doesn't have a lot of submissions off of his back. Uh, he likes to get on his opponent's back. Most of his wins are by rear naked choke. Uh, but he likes to control top position, which is also where Askren is going to want to be. Right. The problem there is Maya isn't that great at takedowns, especially against uh, good wrestlers. Like, he can take uh, people that aren't as strong wrestlers down, and he does, and that's usually how he wins his fights. But if you look at his fights against people that excel at wrestling, like Tyron Woodley, for example, Maya was 0 for 21 against Tyron Woodley trying to take him down. Usman and Covington, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, these guys are able to stop his takedown attempts, and yes. I think Askren will be the same way. And then Askren will look for takedowns of his own, and as you were saying, I think when he gets him down, he's going to be able to control him uh, from the top position. Uh, Maya can definitely threaten submissions from the bottom, but again, it's not something you normally see too much from him. And Ben Askren actually is pretty good at jiu-jitsu as well. I think he's even a black belt. I'm not saying he's on the level of Damian Maya, but I, I think he knows enough to try to avoid submissions when he's in top position. Uh, I think he'll throw in some ground and pound. I think Askin will win a pretty comfortable. That's the outcome that makes the most sense to me. Okay. But I could also see Maya getting a submission really quickly because yeah. his jiu-jitsu is slick. Uh, and if that happens... 
I like I like both of these guys a lot. Uh, normally, I'm very happy to see Damian Maya win. I love jujitsu, uh, but Ben Askren, with the hype that he was brought into the UFC with, and as talented as I think he is, and as excited as I was to see him fight people, his fight against Robbie Lawler was so weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fight with Masvidal was just catastrophic. Uh, this isn't the way he wanted his UFC uh, run to go, and this isn't the way a lot of people wanted to see it go either. And I think if he were to lose this fight, it's just it's really a tragedy for what this could have been. I agree. And to get even more to the point, if Ben Askren loses this fight, he's going to be labeled a bust in the UFC. Yeah. And Damian Maya has nothing to lose. Uh, at this point, Damian Maya can lose his fight. It literally does no damage. He's a Hall of Famer, and he's going to be. To where Ben Askren, you know, it was that classic case of like, let's see what happens when you get into the UFC. Are you going to excel? Are you going to be another Hector Lombard? Are you going to fizzle out? Like, what's going to happen? So if he loses this fight, he's a bust. If he wins this fight, he becomes a relevant again and maybe down the line gets to face another elite guy but if he loses uh you know he's still going to be marketable but man a lot of that that hype fades even more yeah all right so that was ufc singapore uh to wrap this up we're going to do something a little bit different uh we're going to talk about bellator and it's something that we would like to get more into uh, they have two events this weekend, one Friday, one Saturday. So we're going to break down the main events for those cards now. Uh, they're both rematches, and the first one is uh, a little bit of a throwback, though. It's uh, Roy Nelson versus Frank Mir. Uh, the, their first match took place at UFC 130 back in May 2011. Uh, Frank Mir won by decision. Uh, pretty dominant decision. Uh, he is on a four-fight losing streak, and he hasn't won since 2015 because he's been kind of uh, inconsistent with his appearances. Uh, Roy Nelson is on a three-fight losing streak. They're both in their 40s. Uh, how do you see uh, this old-school matchup, Lee? Well, the first thing that I think about when I think about this fight is why, why is it happening? Bellator has such a schizophrenic approach to matchmaking. They'll put together these great grand prix. We're obviously going to talk about a great fight coming up. Rory McDonald and Lima. And then they do stuff like this. And then they mishandle a prospect like Aaron Pico. They're so all over the place, but these kinds of fights, I don't get it. Like, There's not one person who's excited about this fight that isn't related to Frank Mir or Roy Nelson. Frank Mir is 40. (laughs) Roy Nelson's 43. They fought eight years ago. Mir's three and eight since that fight. Nelson's eight and 11. And the thing about Nelson is the only thing he's been consistent about is being fat. The guy doesn't care about his stamina. (laughs) He's never cared about his stamina. He's literally had the talent to be a world champion. Frank Mir has at least been a world champion. You know, Roy Nelson has never cared about being in shape. He was so close in the UFC to being a champ. Like, a tr- you know, like there was a time where Roy Nelson had a legit chance to be a heavyweight champion. He was, you know, rising towards the top. But he gasses out. What's, what's to look forward to with this fight? If Roy Nelson lands 
His his patented big right haymaker. Okay, fine. Frank Mir's been finished before. Okay, if if Mir finishes Roy, uh, you know Roy's tough, but I think we're seeing him get hit more and more. You know, there's just what what is what is this? I mean, this is a main event. What does it say about Bellator? It's it's just. It's it, it's I don't know that it's sad. That might be a little bit too dramatic, but it's really in, indicative of just the odd matchmaking that Bellator put together. I don't even think there's a. I'm not even going to break down this fight from an X's and O's standpoint because <laughs> who cares? I, I I don't know who's going to win this fight. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if if you want to put a gun in my head, okay. Uh, Nelson, who I think is a little more durable at this point, lands a big right and, and takes and takes Frank Mir out. And then what happens? You know, who cares? Like, who who cares? <laughs> so I don't know how you feel, but you're probably a little more excited about it than I am, I guess. Uh, I'm not too excited about it. I'll probably <laughs> watch it, but I mean, like, I'm not like I'm not up for it or anything. Uh, I do I do disagree on the win. Uh, it's another one I'm not super confident on, though. I mean, I could definitely see Nelson finishing him. He hits really hard, and Mir does get hurt. But I think this fight should. I mean, there's every reason to think it should go like the first fight did. Uh, I mean, Roy Nelson fights even worse than he used to fight. Which, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you were saying before, where he kind of was like a contender for the heavyweight championship. But he still was always a guy that didn't throw that many strikes, always relied on the big shot, and he's just more that way now. And I don't like to bet on those kind of guys. So I think Mir, uh, he has eight submission victories uh, in the UFC, the most in UFC heavyweight history and the two quickest submissions in UFC heavyweight history. So he's a very skilled guy. Uh, He also strikes better than Roy Nelson does. He lands more than Roy Nelson does, and his boxing's better. So... Uh, yeah. The last time they fought, even though it was eight years ago, uh, Frank Mir took Roy Nelson down six times on eight attempts. And I think that's going to become easier the more tired that Roy Nelson gets if the fight lasts. Mm-hmm. So if Mir, if Mir can avoid getting knocked out, I think that uh, he should have his way and he'll get another uh, decision victory. You but, know what the winner gets of this fight? They no. Get a, they get a DVD box set of the Golden Girls. <laughs> so uh, that'll, that'll segue us into our next uh, main event the Saturday main event the much better main event because yes. the winner of that fight uh, for one gets the championship mm-hmm. but they also get one million dollars yeah and the Grand Prix title yeah this is a rematch from 2018 uh, so a lot more recently it's Rory McDonald versus Douglas Lima uh, the first fight, I think, was a classic. Like, at least it was a Bellator classic. It was a Rory McDonald yeah. classic. Uh, McDonald won. Uh, I think it's a pretty clear decision, even though it was a competitive fight for most of the way. I, I think most people agree that he took it at the end. Uh, he had to be carried out afterwards, after all the damage from Lehman's low kicks. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it was a good fight. Uh, so how do you see this uh, superior Bellator main event going, Lee? 
Yeah, well, this is an excellent fight. I mean, no matter what the promotion is, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think what you said in the beginning is spot on. My big question is, and this is where you can insert the famous Dana White drop. Do you want to be an ultimate fighter, right? (laughs) Do you want to be a fighter? Roy, once a fighter starts to publicly question, uh, you know, on a public platform, whether they're in it, their heart is in it, and make yeah. no mistake about it, Rory McDonald has done this, then you really have to question whether they're able to come into a fight and and give it their all. And I don't mean like, you know, I know Rory cares, but Rory at one point was a stone-cold killer, like a killer. Right. And and come on, man, that, that killer instinct, as high quality of a fighter as he still is, it, it's not quite there anymore. So that's my thing. He's going to be fighting, like for Lima, this is the fight of his life. He's going to leg kick the crap out of Rory. He's going to test Rory. Like, I, if I'm Lima, I bring it to Rory. I make him get into a fist fight and push him and see how, you know, deep down he wants to dig. As far as, you know, breaking down more X's and O's, um, you know, Lima, in my opinion, has to handle Rory's grappling. If he can do that, if he could keep that in check, I think he wins this fight. Um, I think if we see a timid Rory, uh, Rory, that's not the Rory we've seen in the past, which has seemed to be the recent pattern, then, you know, Lima's going to have the advantage standing. I think those leg kicks are going to come into play again. Um, so I have zero doubt that Lima's going to be motivated, but my question is, will Rory be as motivated? Um, Rory's made some money. Lima hasn't seen this kind of money that, that, that Rory has. So I just think that Lima's going to win this time in, in a clear decision. And I think it, it could, if that happens, it could be the end of Rory McDonald. I actually think this is probably the end of Rory McDonald either way. Okay. Like, I don't think he wants to fight anymore based, like like you were saying, based on all the stuff he's been saying. He's even talked about, like, becoming a pastor now. Uh, I think he's done fighting. I think this is the last one, whether he wins or not. And I think there's a lot of validity to your point about maybe he doesn't have enough left in him to take on somebody that's as big of a challenge as Douglas Lima. Like, Douglas Lima is really one of the best guys Bellator has to offer. And you kind of have to be ready to get into a fight like that. Yes. Uh, that being said, I I think Rory has the skills, and he should be able to find them uh, and, and put it together one more time. Uh, it's hard to find stats on Bellator compared to the UFC, and I like to kind of rely on the stats so i dug up that in mcdonald's five round fights uh versus robbie lawler he landed 86 significant strikes and against wonderboy thompson he landed 61 significant strikes so i would put his output in the first lima fight somewhere probably in the middle of that because he was landing some takedowns the takedowns for that matter could be something that comes into play again uh lima's Defense isn't very strong, and I don't. There's no reason to believe that it's suddenly going to be. Uh, Rory has very good takedowns from the clinch, and he also has a power double that he can hit when he needs to, like he hit it at the end of the first fight. So I'm still gonna roll with uh, Rory McDonald on this one, but with everything going on, it definitely 
uh, makes it a hard pick to make because his uh, ferocity definitely seems to be gone. Yeah, it's it's a very it's what Rory McDonald shows up. If it's the Rory of old, yeah. then those stats mean something because the but the yeah. problem is those stats represent a different fighter. You know, a, a, like yeah. a ki- a killer. Like, remember when people used to look at Rory McDonald and be like, look at that dude. That dude's weird. He looks like like a taxi driver killer type of guy, you know? And, you know, the reality is I just think he's facing someone who's going to be the hungrier guy. But it's a great matchup, and I'm looking forward to seeing it, unlike me yeah. and Nelson, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of uh, the Knuckleheads MMA podcast. Uh, thank everybody for listening. Please rate and review on iTunes. And we'll be back next week for uh, the big show for uh, UFC 244 from here in New York City. Uh, we're yeah. still not sure if we're actually going to be there, but we'll definitely be doing a show about it. Uh, so yep. that, that's a great card. Can't wait to do it. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. See you guys. <laughs>